And in this last session, um, I want to do a session that I've entitled Hope for Weary Parents. We've stated that this um, conference is not just for parents, that is for anyone who ministers to teenagers and, and for all who are in the body of Christ, uh, for all who are in the body of Christ should have an interest in ministering to teenagers. But in this last session, I do want to um, talk to parents, and I'm concerned in this conference, not just in how we counsel youth, but how we as a church counsel parents uh, who are walking through this season of life, and how parents talk to other parents as uh, we walk through the parenting task. And so let me uh, pray for us and devote our time to the Lord. Father, we ask for your blessing upon this session that you would direct our hearts to you and your word, and that your word would do a good work in each of our hearts. We ask that your spirit would uh, teach us and guide us, and we pray that you would bring much fruitfulness from this time. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jeremiah 17, verse 7 is a common passage that is used to teach biblical counseling concepts. If you've been in the biblical counseling classes in this church, I'm sure you're aware of this passage, but let me read it for you. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So the Bible often uses the metaphor of a tree to describe a person's spiritual life. Jesus used this metaphor in Matthew 12, verse 33. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You'll recall the familiar words of Psalm 1, verse 1, that says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields his fruit in a season, and his leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So in my biblical counseling classes, we're always drawing trees. Uh, my artwork is terrible, so people are uh, stumbled over seeing how I, my, I draw my trees, but I try to get the point across that the Bible is oftentimes using trees to describe the concept of spiritual life, to ask the question, where are your roots? What is the fruit that is growing from your tree and how is the fruit related to where your roots are? And this is just a very common concept in the Bible. So when Jeremiah says, blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, he is like a tree planted by water. He is using this very common spiritual metaphor. Now you'll notice this tree in Jeremiah's picture. This is a tree that is planted by water. Its roots are sent out into the stream. And you'll notice that this tree is bearing beautiful fruit because the roots are in the right place. The man's heart is trusting in the Lord. You also notice in this picture that there is not only the tree, but there is heat. And the heat in this passage represents the circumstances, the troubles, the trials, which are external to the tree. Uh, the heat is coming upon the tree, uh, the heat is bringing pressure upon the tree, but the tree is continuing to bear fruit even though um, the heat is coming. The roots of the tree represent what is unseen. Um, in this passage, the roots represent a heart that trusts the Lord. And the promise of this passage 
is that the tree can bear fruit even when the heat of life is put upon it. So you have um, heat issues and you have root issues and you have fruit issues. All of that is pictured in this picture of a tree. Now, this passage helps us do two things for our own lives. First of all, it helps us to distinguish heat issues from heart issues. It helps us to distinguish what is external to the tree, the pressures and the trials and tribulations that a person is experiencing from the heart issues, which are represented by the roots. The second thing it does is it helps us distinguish root issues from fruit issues. So in any given season of the Christian's life, we have heat factors which are external to our lives, which are bringing pressure upon us. These heat issues are bringing out what is in our heart. What is in our heart are the thoughts and the desires and the treasures which are unseen by the visible eye, but are equivalent to the roots in the tree, which are unseen, yet which provide the foundation and stability of the tree. And then you have fruit issues, either good fruit seen in godly words, actions, and emotions, or bad fruit, what I typically draw out, if I had a picture, I would draw as thorns. Uh, These are ungodly words, ungodly actions, and ungodly emotions. So we have heat and heart, we have root and fruit, and those are just some basic concepts that are helpful for us to process what is happening to our spiritual lives as we walk through the seasons of life. Now you'll notice here, the heat issues in our lives, the factors that are external to the tree are there by the sovereignty of God. God regulates the temperature of the heat in our lives in order to bring out the issues of the heart. The heat is not there by accident. It is not there by random chance. God is sovereign over the temperature of the heat and he is seeking to bring out what is in our hearts. And biblical sanctification is bearing good fruit even when the temperature gets very hot. Now, as I've worked with biblical counselors and trained biblical counselors, I've encouraged them in their counseling ministry, you can't spend all your time trying to change the heat in a counselee's life. You can't spend all your time trying to change the situation that the counselee is walking through. That situation, that trial the counselee is walking through is thereby the sovereign appointment of God. And ultimately, you can't really do much about it anyway. I mean, there are little things that you can do to make this person's situation better, but ultimately, you can't change and remove all the trials from a person's life. You, you need to acknowledge the heat. You need to show compassion. Use that as a, a way to to show sympathy and compassion, but you can't spend all your time trying to change the situation. Your job as a counselor is to go after, to to minister to heart issues. You're there to minister God's word to the heart. Um, We wanna get to where the root of a person's spiritual life is so that they will bear fruit even though nothing in the temperature of their heat has changed. They are still bearing, or they're able to bear good fruit, godly words, actions, and emotions. Now, if we take this simple spiritual concept and we apply it to parents who are walking through a difficult season of parenting with their teenagers, 
um, I think it's helpful for us to at least bring some categories to what we're dealing with. Uh, what is the heat in a parent's life? Uh, David Pallison has done sort of a spin on words on this saying that it's not all heat. There's also, he calls it dew. Dew is sort of the, you know, the good circumstances, the blessings, the, the good things that are happening in your life. And so there's heat and there's dew. Um, that, that's a helpful concept. You're not gonna find that in Jeremiah 17, but it's a helpful concept to think through. Um, sometimes your relationship with your teenager is really hard. Um, sometimes it's really good. Um, sometimes it's really hard and really good in the same day. Sometimes you have one teenager where it's really hard and you have another teenager where it's really good and then they decide to switch places on the next day. And so it's heat and do and heat and do. Um, sometimes it's not just your teenager. Um, when you get to the age where people typically have teenagers, you're also dealing with a lot of other, um, typically other issues in life at that age and stage of life. Uh, typically there's uh, more, more health issues, there's issues with aging parents, there's struggles and trials with career and job and a lot of other things going on. All of that is making up the heat in our lives which are bringing pressure upon the heart. Um, so I would say that a difficult relationship with a teenager qualifies as heat. It is a hard circumstance that is external to the tree. And yet that relationship is there by the sovereign appointment of God. And so I think that's just helpful to acknowledge, to give us some categories to where we need to do our work. Our job is not to try to change the heat our job is to look at where are our roots? Is my tree, if my life was a spiritual, uh, my spiritual life was a tree, am I bearing good fruit even if the circumstance does not change? Our job is to get our roots into a really good place and that means uh, dealing with where our hearts are at. So let me walk through some typical um, or suggested heart issues that parents may experience in this season of life. And you can do some work, you can take this home. Not all of this is going to be immediately applicable to you, but I think it's helpful to give some categories so we can process what is happening um, as we examine uh, the roots of the tree. One of the hard issues parents experience is guilt, uh, guilty feelings. Sometimes it's false guilt, it's not really related to a specific biblical command. I mean, there is no biblical command that says, thou shalt raise children to have straight A's in school. I mean, that's just not in the Bible. Um, you may feel guilty that your children are not reaching some academic standard, but that's not a standard that's in scripture. That's a man-made standard or a cultural standard. And so that would be false guilt. It's guilty feelings not related to objective sin. Um, but sometimes it is true guilt. Sometimes we have sinned against our children. Uh, sometimes we have gotten angry or said words that are discouraging or have uh, caused them to become disheartened. Uh, we can have guilty feelings that are actually related to objective guilt. Uh, but guilty feelings is something that parents deal with. Uh, parenting is the only role I know that uh, people who have excelled in everything else in their lives up to that point, 
give their best and give them all and feel like a failure at the end of the day. Uh, I've never been a failure at anything, but this, I don't know what to do. And so we can feel guilty, whether that's guilt related to false, um, false standards or guilt that is related to objective uh, sin. And this guilt can be paralyzing at times. If left unresolved, bad fruit will grow from the tree if what is going on in the heart is unresolved guilt that is not brought to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere in scripture does it say that you can be sanctified and become more like Christ with guilty feelings as the motivator for your sanctification. Scripture says we must bring our guilt to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must trust in his provision to deal with our guilt once and for all through his perfect sacrifice and then understanding that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus out of love and out of devotion to Christ to move forward in sanctification. But we need to do that heart work of dealing with guilt. Another heart issue parents deal with is regret. None of us have parented perfectly. If you're parenting teenagers, you have parented long enough to have made mistakes. As times we can find ourselves rehearsing those mistakes and living with regret over things we should have done better. And here's where we must trust in the grace of God. We must place the roots of our hearts in the grace of God's forgiveness rather than the cycle of self-blame and self-criticism that goes on with inordinate regret rehearsed over and over. A third heart issue is disappointment. It's possible that a parent had certain expectations of how the child would turn out at a certain age. At times, parents can even live vicariously through their children because their own ambitions have been unresolved in their own lives, so they project that upon their children's lives. And when a child does not live up to those ideals, a parent can see a child as a disappointment. A parent must see that each child is made in the image and likeness of God. Each child is uniquely created to reflect God's glory. Your teenager is fearfully and wonderfully made. He or she is God's creation with the specific strengths and weaknesses that have been ordained by God for his glory. Then there is the issue of envy. We can envy the success or the accomplishments of children in other families. Proverbs 14 verse 30 says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Ironically, some parents can even envy the success of their own children. Some children can succeed too well in the endeavor that is close to the heart of a parent. And that is all that needs to be resolved by the grace of God. Anger is a common issue, parents becoming sinfully angry when their own ungodly passions and desires are not meant. Uh, I recall, I told you the story of the, the lasagna story. I came home one night and um, lasagna was gone. So there's the heat in my life, no lasagna. There's the heart, thoughts, desires, and treasures. I never get what I want. What did I do to deserve this? Desires, all I want is a decent meal. The heat was bringing out the heart issues and my words, actions, and emotions were the fruit of what was going on in my heart. Um, 
I've given that, I've told that story in my biblical counseling class where you have a little bit more of extended time and I asked the class to counsel me. Okay, so how would you deal with me in dealing with my sanctification in that moment? And I remember one person said, you know, you know ask your wife to make more lasagna. And I said, <laughs> that's helpful in maybe dealing with some of the heat issue, but that's not, that's not what I think what we're after in the class, like dealing with the heart issue. The issue isn't not more lasagna, the issue is I've gotta deal with some heart issues here. Um, but you get, see how those concepts are helper. You don't wanna be on the heat, you wanna deal with the heart. Um, so uh, parents can become sinfully angry when their ungodly passions and desires are not met. Control is another heart issue. Uh, parents singing, seeking to control their children's behavior through behavior modification, guilt and reward, uh, you can destroy a relationship with a teenager by being manipulative. Uh, Lou Priola has a really good booklet on manipulation where he says that um, for Christian manipulation is using unbiblical means of controlling or influencing others. Uh, those are some common heart issues. So the heat in this situation is a difficult relationship with a teenager. But the issue is that it's bringing out these heart issues I didn't even know existed. I mean, I thought I was a very godly Christian before I had children. And then I thought actually when my children were little, I was a very godly Christian. But now that they're growing older, all of a sudden all these heart issues are being exposed. I didn't even know they were there. Well, take heart, uh, dear friend, because this is part of God's sovereign plan for your sanctification and mine. It appears that sanctification requires some heat. I wish it could be that I was in a perfect room controlled, uh, temperature controlled room, just me and my Bible, uh, perfectly comfortable, and I could you know, instantly become like Christ. But apparently, you can't grow in patience unless there's someone bothering you a little bit. You can't grow in kindness unless there's somebody who's a little bit difficult to love. You can't control, grow in self-control if um, you're never tempted to lose control. These are character graces that are only forged in the midst of there's, there's some heat in our lives and God's gonna expose some issues that need sanctification. It's the refiner's fire that's meant to forge in us the character of Christ. And so where's the hope in all of this? Now I've given you some heart issues. Um, we're always concerned in uh, counseling teaching. We, we don't want you to be, have fall into the cycle of morbid introspection. We don't want you to just get lost examining your own heart. Uh, you're gonna get lost in there. There's no hope in there. Uh, you wanna identify your heart issues to the extent that it helps you to specifically and intelligently repent from sin. But you don't wanna get lost in just what are my heart issues? What are my heart issues? Robert Murray McShane has said it well, take 10 looks at Christ for every one look at yourself. So if you're looking at your heart issues, make sure you're turning, um, after you turn inward, you turn outward and look at Christ and see that Christ is sufficient for all of our sanctification issues. But I gave you a number of heart issues because it is helpful for us to do some self examination, but quickly I wanna to turn to the issue of hope. We 
cannot impart hope to our children if we don't have hope for ourselves. And um, this last session is probably gonna be the most personal for me because I just wanna give you, these are the truths that have given me hope as I walk through uh, parenting teenagers and now as my children are growing to adulthood, these are the go-to truths that I go to when I'm tempted to despair or to look at the future with pessimism instead of biblical hope. Uh, Jay Adams has said, always give hope. Never minimize the severity of problems. Always, instead, always maximize Christ and his power to solve problems. Always approach seemingly hopeless situations with emphatic disagreement. Disagree when the counselee says it's hopeless. Say it is difficult, but not too difficult for God. And as um, one of my instructors, Dr. Stuart Scott has well said, always add the two words, but God, after every statement or summary of life. This situation is really difficult, but God is faithful. I'm really having a hard time with this, but God will be faithful to sustain me. If you text your friend about a situation, this, this situation is really breaking my heart, add the words, but God is with me, and he has promised never to leave me or forsake me. Always add the words, but God, because that is where we get to hope. And so here are some reasons just um, practically some truths where you want to, to dig your roots into. These are the truths that you wanna get your heart into. You wanna get these truths into your heart so that your tree will bear good fruit as you minister to uh, teenagers. And by the way, if your teenager were to live in a home where there is just this beautiful spiritual tree that is always in the kitchen, don't you think that's gonna have some influence? Don't you think that's gonna make an impact? He can't go to the refrigerator without walking past this beautiful tree every morning. Instead of, oh, I gotta get through some thorns, all these thorns in my, in my kitchen all the time. You wanna, that's the kind of home that you wanna provide. Um, it's gonna make an impact. So some biblical reasons. Um, number one, we can have hope because God is faithful from generation to generation. I've touched on this briefly in uh, my teaching this weekend, but it just strikes me how the faithfulness of God is specifically mentioned in scripture in reference to each generation of redemptive history. We can go to Lamentation 3, verse 22, where it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They're describing the faithfulness of God in terms of its size or its magnitude. When we think of the attribute of God's faithfulness, we ought to think of it in terms of its massive size, which dwarfs the problems of life in comparison. Psalm 36, verse five, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. God's faithfulness is his unchanging devotion to do what he has said and fulfill all the promises he has made to his people. On page three of your handout, you see the quote by A.W. Pink, who said, on all his relations with his people, God is faithful. He may be safely relied upon. No one has yet really trusted him in vain we find this precious truth expressed almost everywhere in the scriptures. This is the basis of our confidence in him. This quality is essential to his being. Without it, he would not be God. 
his faithfulness from generation to generation. Psalm 89 verse one, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness, I'll make known your faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 119 verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is, is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's the story of the Bible. God's faithfulness to Abraham, God's faithfulness to Isaac, God's faithfulness to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, to Joshua, the era of the judges, the monarchy of Israel, the era of exile and restoration, the intertestamental period, the coming of Messiah, the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, 2000 years of church history, God's faithfulness from generation to generation. And that is why the genealogy of scripture have become some of my most favorite sections of scripture in the Bible, because they give context to what I'm trying to do as a parent. How many generations has God been faithful? As if the biblical record was, biblical narrative was not enough. It's listed in the generations, all the way from Abraham to David, to the coming of Christ, to the present day, by the way, including some really bad generations where people acted wickedly. I mean, in my family alone, we celebrate survival of my grandparents and my parents through the Korean War, immigrating to the United States, establishing a life here, amazing grace that God has shown to our family. And that's just two or three generations. That's just my father's generation and my grandfather's generation. So many stories of God's faithfulness, even in those generations, and yet God is faithful to a thousand generations. Do you really think that God has given us all of this history and testimony of his faithfulness from generation to generation, so that you and I can get to our kids' generation and look at them and say, well, there's no hope for them. Our Lord doesn't know what to do with their generation he will show himself faithful. And so we dig our roots, we get the roots of our tree into this truth that God is going to be faithful in our children's generation. The second reason, parents can have hope because of the wisdom of God in ordaining every circumstance for their lives. The wisdom of God in ordaining every circumstance for their lives. So in the words of Jerry Bridges, three truths we need to help people understand so that they will trust God. We need to understand that God is sovereign, that he controls all things. We need to understand that God is wise, that he knows what he is doing. And we need to know that God is loving. He does all things for our good and for his glory. This is the basis for our trust in God. And so we as parents can have hope, not only because God is sovereign, but because God is wise. Romans 11 verse 33 says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. The wisdom of God means that God chooses the best ends and he chooses the best means to achieve those ends. The ends are what God has in mind for his sovereign plan for the universe. They are the best ends, they are the best goals. 
They are the goals and the ends that bring him the greatest glory and us the most good. There is nothing random or haphazard about the details of our lives. God is working out his sovereign plan that he has ordained before the foundation of the world, which includes the everyday blessings and trials that you and I face. And he is wise. He is not only in control, but he has an end or a goal in mind in what he is doing in your life and mine. The story of Ruth is a story about an immigrant Moabite who went out to the fields to glean grain to feed her mother-in-law. Little did Ruth know that her life was part of divine plan to include this Moabite in the messianic line and bring salvation to all the nations. Our lives on a given day look like we're just trying to get our kids to school. We're just trying to get to work. We're just trying to teach our children to drive themselves to school, talking about counseling issues. <laughs> Anxiety, anger, depression, conflict resolution, all there when I'm trying to teach my child how to drive. That's what our lives look like, just ordinary things, just trying to be faithful. Yet God in his wisdom has ends in mind. These are the best means to those ends. He's working out his plan to glorify himself. I remember going through um, a time in my life when I was just, I don't know why my life is the way it is. I mean, I just one of those seasons of life where you're just, Lord, what are you doing? I, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. What's going on? Where, where am I going? Um, just intense questions about what's happening. And, and I, was at, um, I was at work, I printed out these lyrics on a piece of paper and I put them up on my cubicle at work just to shepherd my own, own heart and renew my own hope. It's the lyrics too, which say the perfect wisdom of our God revealed in all the universe all things created by his hand and held together at his command. He knows the mysteries of the seas. The secrets of the stars are his. He guides the planets on their way and turns the earth through another day. Oh, grant me wisdom from above to pray for peace and cling to love and teach me humbly to receive the sun and rain of your sovereignty. Each strand of sorrow has a place within this tapestry of grace. So through the trials, I choose to say, your perfect will in your perfect way. This is where you wanna grow your roots in the solid truth of the wisdom of God. God is wise in giving my child to me. God is wise in giving me to my child. God is gonna use the blessings and the trials, the strengths and the weaknesses of our family to bring about the greatest amount of good and to bring himself glory. And when that's where your roots are at, you can bear good fruit. Number three, parents can have hope because of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice to pay for all of our sins. You need to take 10 looks at Christ, one look at yourself. I remember a dear couple who was older in years, uh, was taking one of my classes, coming to me after the class and saying, uh, these truths are so good. 
these truths are so what we needed to hear. But Dan, our children are grown. We've made so many mistakes. If we had only learned this 25 years earlier when the kids were younger, uh, but now we don't know what to do. And um, I remember telling them, the game's not done yet. You, you still have a second half to play. You're not done. Even if they're out of the home, you're not finished. And uh, you still have a ministry to pray and to serve and to love and to show Christ. But what you need to do is you need to trust in the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to pay for all of your sins. You can't live in regret. You can't let guilt overwhelm you. You have to bring that guilt to the cross and trust that Jesus actually paid for their sins and then move forward by his grace. And this is the truth that the scriptures say to us. This is not wishful thinking for parents who are weighed down with their own failures. Romans 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The word propitiation meaning satisfaction, that God is satisfied with the work of Jesus on our behalf. First John 2 verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First John 4 verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ fully drank the cup of God's wrath that we deserve because of our sins. At the cross, Jesus proclaimed, it is finished. I can't think of anything better that you could do for your children than to daily rehearse the truth of Christ's sacrifice so that your soul is filled with wonder, love, and praise at the greatness of his love for you. Oh friend, that's gonna create this beautiful tree in the home that your children cannot ignore. J. Gresham Mason imagines the dialogue in this way. Man says the law of God, have you obeyed my commands? No, says the sinner saved by grace. I have disobeyed them. I have sinned in thought, word and deed. Well then, sinner, says the law of God, have you paid the penalty which I pronounced upon disobedience? No, says the sinner, I have not paid the penalty myself, but Christ has paid it for me. Hence, so far as the penalty is concerned, I am clear. Well then, sinner, says the law of God, how about the conditions which God has pronounced for the attainment of blessedness? Have you stood the test? Have you merited eternal life by perfect obedience to the law of God? No, says the sinner, I have not merited eternal life by my own perfect obedience. Although I have not merited eternal life by any obedience of my own, Christ has merited it for me by his perfect obedience. I have no righteousness of my own but clad in Christ's perfect righteousness imputed to me and received by faith alone, I can glory in the fact that there awaits me the glorious reward which Christ thus earned for me. In the words of Martin Luther, O law, I drawn my conscience in the wounds, blood, death, resurrection, and victory of Christ. Besides him will I see nothing and hear nothing. Parents can have hope because of the sufficiency of Christ's work on our 
behalf. Number four, parents can have hope because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to change our lives and the lives of our children. The hardest heart is no match for the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to believe that. I mean, you have to believe that. You have to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that in any given moment, the Spirit is sovereign and can bring new life through the word to an unregenerate sinner at any time. You have to believe that because if you're a Christian, that's your testimony. You're not a Christian because you are smart enough or moral enough or strong enough. You're a Christian because the Spirit brought you new life through the preaching of the gospel. And you have hope because you have the word of God and you have Christ, but also if you're a Christian, you have been given the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have been baptized, literally immersed into the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fills us and empowers our ministry. And so biblical counselors talk about not a dialogue, but a trialogue. It's not you and the counselee just talking to one another but it's you and the counselee and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is ministering to you as you speak and listen. And the Holy Spirit is ministering to your counselee as he or she speaks and listen. And there is a trialogue happening. And that's why as inadequate as I am and as insufficient as I feel in many counseling situations, that's why I have confidence to engage because I know that it's not me it's the Holy Spirit who's going to use me to bring his word to bear upon this situation. This is our ministry. Zechariah 4, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And the glory of New Testament ministry is Ezekiel 36, verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Um, as Justin Holcomb has said, rather than asking about the role of the Holy Spirit in counseling, we should be asking about the counselor's role in the Holy Spirit's counseling. That's the hope. It's, uh, it's the understanding as, as Spurgeon would remind himself when he went up to preach, he would say to himself over and over, trust in the Holy Spirit, trust in the Holy Spirit. It's not a bad word for parents when you're having that difficult conversation with your teen, that the Spirit can use this. And that's the hope that keeps us praying, listening, speaking, studying, allowing the word of Christ to richly dwell within us. We can have hope because of the ministry of the Spirit. And then fifthly, lastly, parents can have hope because when we are faithful, God is glorified. God is glorified. First Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Can I say this? At some point, this needs to be enough for us. I can't control my teenager. I can't control society's influences. I can't change hearts. I can't cause my teenager to be born again. I can't control my teen's friends. 
I can't control what my teen hears in school. But what I can do is I can be faithful to what God has called me to do. Not perfect, but I can be faithful. And when I am faithful as a steward of God, God is glorified. And at some point, we need to say that's enough for us. Parents glorify God when they walk with God in a relationship marked by faith and, and obedience. So let me just be open with you. There are many godly parents whom I know and love who have been far more faithful in their parenting and far more godly in their parenting than I have. And yet their children have been raised and their children don't love the Lord. They're not walking with the Lord. Has God been less has been glorified less in their parenting than in the life of a parent who has raised children who are walking with the Lord? I would say not. God is glorified because these parents, they've been faithful. They've been faithful to the Lord. They can't control the results. The results are up to the Lord. They have been faithful to love, worship the Lord and to serve their children and teach their children the gospel. And at some point, that truth, that God is glorified, that, that has to be enough for all of us, whatever happens in our children's lives. I remember having a conversation with a friend and he was wrestling with a difficult issue. And he said, I don't know what to do, but I do know this, my heart is to glorify God and that's enough. It's a great statement. We don't always know what to do. And I love the statement in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't always know what to do in parenting, but if our heart is to glorify God, God will be faithful. And if your children are walking with the Lord, praise God. I mean, praise the Lord. We're just so thankful that if, if you have children that they love the Lord and they, they want to learn God's word, uh, we praise God for that. But the flip side is true that if you have parents who love the Lord, don't you dare take the glory for yourself. Don't you dare look at, it was it because was of my wisdom and my strength and look at me. Give all the glory to God because the love of your children for the Lord is an expression of his sovereign grace in, his, in their lives, and he deserves all the glory. Can a godly parent raise rebellious children? Consider the only perfect parent who ever lived and hear his words. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. That's the Lord speaking. At some point, we have to be satisfied by saying, I've been faithful. Not perfectly, but by the overall pattern of my life, I've been faithful. And where I've been unfaithful, I've sought to confess that and I trusted in the grace of God. But now my child is responsible to walk before the Lord and I can't force him or her to believe or trust the gospel. God just wants us to be faithful.
we can have hope because that's all he's calling us to be. God's faithfulness, his wisdom, the power of the cross, the ministry of the spirit, the glory of God. Uh, these are truths that have shepherded me through the parenting years. Friends, this is the good soil in which you wanna sink your roots. And here's the issue. You and I need to daily, as a spiritual discipline, renew our hope by rehearsing these truths in our hearts. It's not a one-time event, and then you live off that for a number of years. Daily, we need to come back to these truths and, and renew our hope. So that beautiful tree, the beautiful fruit grows on that tree on that day. A little boy took his pail to the edge of the ocean. He filled it to overflowing only to find that there was so much more ocean that could be filled in his pail. And that is the experience of anyone who would try to exhaust the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's Jeremiah's words in Lamentations 3, verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. The city is destroyed. The Babylonian empire has conquered Jerusalem. The temple is burned to the ground. The city walls are broken down. The leaders of Judah put to death. And Jeremiah weeps. And in verse 21, he makes a conscious, willful decision to turn his mind away from the bitterness of his circumstances and to set his mind on the character of God. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Despair is the result of an undisciplined mind. Hope is the result of a conscious decision to fix our minds on the truth of God's word. Parents, sink your roots deep in this good spiritual soil. And then I say, keep praying, keep speaking, keep shepherding, keep less listening, stay alert, be ready for spiritual opportunities, enter your teen's world, ask good questions, give them the hope that you have received for yourself and God will allow you to bear good spiritual fruit even in the midst of the difficult heat. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, your word and the hope it gives to us. Thank you that these are truths that as many of us are realizing that this is a marathon, not a sprint. That we need endurance. Uh, we need endurance through not only the months, but the years and the decades to stay faithful. And yet these are truths that will anchor us and that will keep us and that will sustain us for the road ahead. And so I pray for all of uh, my friends here and I pray for myself that Lord, we would indeed sink our roots into the good spiritual soil of your word and that we would bear good fruit even when the heat comes. We entrust this time to you and pray this in Jesus' name, amen.